For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Kendra Hall, and we're going to explore the power of stories in your marketing. And by the way, if you want to reach me, tag me on Instagram, at Stelzner, or email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And by the way, if you're new, Hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. We've got a lot of great content coming. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for my interview with Kendra Hall. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Kendra Hall. If you don't know who Kendra is, she is the author of Stories That Stick, How Storytelling Can Captivate Customers, Influence Audiences, and Transform Your Business. She's also a keynote speaker and host of multiple storytelling workshops that she conducts all over the country. Kendra, welcome to the show. So happy to be here. Thanks, Michael. So today, Kinder and I are going to explore what makes for a good story and why marketers need to understand how to use stories. Now, before we go there, I would love to hear your story. You could start wherever you wanted, but how the heck did you get into telling stories? <laughs> That's a good, you know what? It seems like a logical first question for a storyteller, right? What's the, what's the story? Absolutely. So, <laughs> sounds good. We could start there. Well, interestingly, since so much of my work now is about storytelling in business and, and I know that for in marketing, it's all about the stories. In many cases, I'm preaching to the choir here, but my start is long before business, long before I even considered what marketing was. I told my first story when I was 11 years old. It was an assignment for my fifth grade English class. And we were each tasked with choosing a children's book and then going and reading it to a third grade classroom. So, you know, kind of your first experimentation in public speaking, pretty safe, you know, reading a book, not that big of a deal. Uh, but I walked into my first third grade classroom and we we were talking offline. You grew up in Wisconsin. I grew up in Minnesota. So I had a few things working against me. Number one, it was the end of the school year in Minnesota, which as any Midwesterner knows, it means the kids were seeing the sun for the first time in like 10 months. So I had that uh, distraction working against me. And not only that, it was the end of the school day. And I don't know if you remember third grade, but, you know, once you you approach that like last hour, it 
all bets are off. Like I walked into the room and the teacher was sitting in the back, just kind of staring off into space, like pretty much counting down the minutes until the buses came to take the kids away. Um, (laughs) They were bouncing off the walls. They were climbing on the desks. And I made a last minute decision to, instead of reading the book, you know, like holding it up and reading it to them, maybe I would just put the book down and simply tell them the story from the book. And it took maybe three sentences and the whole classroom was quiet. Everyone was sitting back down on the rug and they were all just staring at me, like hanging on every word. And I knew in that moment, I was 11 and I I really did feel like I had stumbled into this alter universe. Like maybe I had just discovered some secret powers. I used to do exactly what you did, except I did it on the neighbor's front porch with all the neighbors sitting around and they were slightly younger. Right. And I would sew these stories about these crazy adventures that their parents would go on, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like hot air balloons exploding in the sky, rescuing their parents, you know? So, and I would just like be fascinated that these kids would sit there and listen to me go on and on about this stuff. So really, really interesting that we share that in common. So keep going with the story. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting. I mean, when you think back, you think about being a kid and begging for bedtime stories. And if you were ever fortunate to have anyone read to you or tell you their stories, a grandparent, an aunt, guy down the street (laughs) on the uh, neighborhood porch, like as children, that's something that we crave, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. It's, It's not something that we want or like or crave as children. And as we get older, we don't need it anymore. It turns out that no matter what age we are, stories are the thing that draw us in. Now, I ended up testing this without even realizing it. So I went on to tell stories on the speech team. I eventually entered a national storytelling competition at the end of my high school, which yes, they have those. The grand prize was going to the National Storytelling Festival, which is in this teeny tiny little town called Jonesboro, Tennessee, where 10,000 people the first weekend in October flood this you know zero stoplight sa- town. They don't even have a stoplight. They bring in world-renowned storytellers, and people just squeeze into these huge circus tents on these chairs that are half of a reasonable size chair just to listen <laughs> to these stories. And, you know, it was at that festival that I remember sitting in the audience. I was there with my mother because I couldn't quite travel on my own or I didn't feel exactly comfortable with it. And I was watching the storytellers, yes, but I was also looking around the tent and listening to the stories as if they were kind of laying themselves out in front of me, almost like matrix style. And there was two things I noticed that the great stories didn't have to be overly dramatic. They just kind of followed a certain arc and included certain components. And then the secondary thing was, as I looked around the room, there were people there of all different ages. There were young people and children, and there were really old people, and there were people right in the middle of their lives, and everyone was equally captivated by these stories. So 
I continued going to the storytelling festival. I was on the board of directors for the National Storytelling Network. I attended storytelling conferences and workshops. And and so my background in storytelling and business or storytelling and marketing actually had nothing to do with business and or marketing for the majority of the time. It was all about the story. Now, as time went on, I didn't want to just, you know, I I wanted to do something with stories. I wanted something other than just traveling around to different storytelling festivals. It just didn't seem like a great way to put food on the table, whatever. It just didn't really work for me. I wanted to be in business and I had a passion for business. So I finished my master's degree and then went on eventually to be a director of marketing and VP of sales. And it turned out that this thing that I had been doing my whole life as a hobby was actually the thing that made me the best at my job. And eventually I left that job as marketing and sales and I had my kids and then started doing consulting for other individuals or nonprofits or companies to help them tell their stories. And then it really progressed into where we are today. That's an amazing story. So (laughs) I can visualize all those people in that tent leaning forward and I can visualize the cacophony, if you will, of characters up there telling their stories, right? Yeah, yeah. I can visualize the person who maybe survived the Holocaust sharing that story. And I can visualize the young child making some story up that isn't even real. And I just think that's such a cool thing. And, and I think story is so, so important. And I think we get it intuitively, but we don't know necessarily why. So I would love you to tell me and everyone who's listening especially from a marketer's perspective, why is story so valuable? Oh, gosh, this is such a big question. But I really do think it starts right there with the fact that humans are programmed for stories. Like this goes all the way back to the beginning of personness. This is how we organized our knowledge. This is how we communicated about intangible Things. This is something that is a part of what it is to be human. So right there, tapping into that very human, to the element of human nature is such a powerful force in that it's, we can't help ourselves really when we're hearing a good story, when we're being told a good story, our brain releases chemicals that make us pay attention. If the story is done well, our brains engage in in what I call the co-creative process, where we take those details, much like you said, like you could picture the different people who were sitting in those tents and you could imagine the different tellers who were up on that stage. And, and I would have to say I wasn't even being super intentional about painting that picture. It's a story I could I could work on a little bit. But that co-creative process is something that we can't help. And we have this desire this this addiction to hearing stories right so i made the mistake a couple of weeks ago i called a friend and i missed her and then i texted her and i said hey have i got a story for you <laughs> right and then me being who i am i should have known that this was a unique form of torture and then i got on a plane like a long flight it was one of those flights where they oh my gosh i hate these flights sidetrack rabbit trail we regret to inform you that our internet isn't working and you've got six hours that 
you are not prepared to be on without internet, nevertheless. So I wasn't able to text her back. And by the time I landed, I had multiple text messages, a couple of voicemails, which (laughs) who leaves voicemails anymore? There was an Instagram message because she wanted to hear that story. We want to hear stories. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. We want to hear stories. So for that reason in and of itself, they're so valuable. They're, they're so powerful. But as you said, we, I think we know it intuitively, but, and I I think we make the mistake of thinking that we are telling stories when we're not. So that's the big difference right there. Well, if I could add a couple thoughts here, I think stories are really important for marketers because first of all, we are all competing for a limited amount of mind share from the people that we're trying to get in front of, right? The prospects, the customers. And when we can share a story that is engaging to them, we can capture some of that attention, right? Which is so absolutely necessary for marketing. And I also think that if we tell a good story, we also get to establish some credibility. We also get to establish some of that no like, and trust factor, which is also important in the world of marketing. And I don't know what are your thoughts on that. Do you agree? Absolutely. And I think the other, the no like, and trust is, is such an important part. I mean, we're in a time right now where we have so much connectivity. I mean, we can see what everyone is doing at any given time. If, you know, as long, depending on their privacy settings, right? Like I could look up on my phone right now and tell you what street my husband is on, on his walk back from the gym, because it's on find my friends or find my phone. And yet we still feel very disconnected. And so for marketers and particularly those who are working within companies, you have an incredible opportunity for that no like trust aspect to, to humanize your company, to humanize an otherwise, you know, pretty straightforward product or copy that would sound like everybody else's by sharing the stories that make up that brand or that illustrates the product in action that tap into the human emotion and really make your potential customers, your current customers feel that connection to you as a company, as a brand, as a human brand. Well, and one other little factoid, I'm a new subscriber to Disney plus, and they've got this uh, series called Imagineering. And in the Imagineering series, they talk about the engineers that make the rides Oh, gosh. Yes, that's amazing. And they talk about how the story is conveyed as you go through the ride, like Thunder Mountain, which many people have been on. There's an actual story arc that they put people through. So it's not just a roller coaster. And you take all these other rides and stuff, and they are actually very intentional about how they try to create an experience. Indiana Jones is another example, right? They tell a story while you're in line so that they're leading up to this big crescendo, which is this thing, this experience. So they're probably the masters of bringing story to life in the real world. And everybody has probably been to some sort of a Disney property. And you begin to realize how cool it is to kind of live that story. I don't know. Well, and you want to go, this is, again, one of those incredible things about storytelling is it makes the thing matter more, right? So I've been on those rides, but imagine if I had heard the stories behind them, like I would want to go back. So here's another interesting just reminded me of this. Have you seen on Netflix those, I think it's on Netflix. Uh, who, who knows? That's the, right. That's a whole different conversation if it was Disney plus or iTunes, Apple plus or whatever. But one of the platforms has that show that's like, um, 
seven days until or something where they document the seven days leading up to a big event. So one of them is the seven days leading up to the big dog show that, you know, that big dog show that they have. Um, one of them is the seven days leading up to uh, New York Fashion Week. And one of them is the seven days to leading up to the reopening of a New York City restaurant that was rated the number one restaurant in the world called 11 Madison Park. Hmm. Now, Here's this restaurant that to make a reservation, you have to do it. They only accept reservations one month in advance and you have to do it on the day. So like imagine you're coming to town on December 15th. You had to have made your reservation on November 15th and that's the only opportunity you have and you better get on there early. Otherwise, you're going to miss the reservation. Mm -hmm. I think each setting like it's a prefix and you pay in advance. I think it's somewhere around over $700 just Wow. For the food, not including the alcohol, and that is set. Okay, so, and they it's this whole Netflix special about the reopening of this restaurant. So there I've set the scene for you. We had friends coming to town who are big foodie friends who had seen this this thing and, and wanted to go. They, they wanted to go take us. They wanted us to join them. They weren't going to take us. They're not that kind of friends. They wanted us to join them at this restaurant. Now, my husband, Michael, is very... Uh, money conscious. And so I told him how much the reservations were going to be. We were going to be eating in the bar. So a smaller menu. So a, a smaller price, I think it was still $400 a person. And he was like, Abs no, absolutely not. Like that is not happening. And I said to him, well, actually there's this Netflix special. So we decided to watch the Netflix special and they did such a great job telling the story of this restaurant that that night or whatever night it was that we, you know, 30 days in advance, our friends made reservations for four because my husband was on board. He wanted to go experience this restaurant after hearing the story. So it's a, right there. It's a restaurant. And yeah, it's top rated, but people like us don't go to that kind of rest. That's just not the kind of restaurant we have any desire to go to. But after hearing the story, we had to go. And as we were in the restaurant, we enjoyed it even more because we were a part of the story that we'd already been told. So anytime, you know, whether it's upscale or downscale or commoditized or, or whatever it is, being able to tell the story, the behind the scenes story, the it's so much more story. I mean, it adds such an incredibly different and irresistible dimension to anything you could ever market. Perfect. So now let's break it down. What makes for a good story? Ooh, great question. Uh, the process of writing my book, I wanted to be sure that we, well, and just in my, the process of my career, I didn't just want to tell people, you know, you should be telling stories because I think we've all heard that, especially now, but really to give a bar, a measurement, a, a, a blueprint for how to do it. So we did some research on what I had deduced were the four key components after being at the storytelling festival and putting this into practice for the better part of two decades. Oh gosh, more than two decades. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> we just had a moment there. Um, that There really are four <laughs> key components. You could see it almost as a checklist that a story needs to really make it a story. So those components, I'll just list them quick and then we can talk more in depth about them. But the four key components are identifiable character, one or two, or maybe three characters. You need that for your story. Number two, you need authentic emotion. The third component, and these are in no particular order, is a moment. The story needs to have a moment. 
And the fourth component is specific details. Okay. So identifiable characters, authentic emotions, a moment, and specific details. So let's start with the characters. Talk to us. What is What does that mean, identifiable characters? So I think where your stories can often go wrong is it accompanies the rise to buzzword status is it's easy to say, you know, our brand is our story or this is our story. And you're just talking about maybe the history of the company or, you know, you're flashing a logo on a screen if you're doing it in video form. And and it goes back to what we were saying earlier is, is people don't want to do business with businesses. They are doing business with people. And the brand isn't the story. The stories are the brand being experienced by people. So where stories can go wrong is we stay too broad. We talk about the company or the brand. What we really need to do is narrow it down to a particular character, a person. Maybe it's a customer. Maybe it's a employee. Maybe it's the founder of the company, but the listener of the story, whether they're reading it, whether they're watching it, whether they're hearing it, the point of an identifiable character is to give your audience a character they can identify with, a person that they can picture, a person that they can say, oh, I feel like I know them, or they seem a lot like me, or you know, that they can actually see this person instead of visualizing the vague concept of a brand. So when I was watching that Imagineering thing that I mentioned earlier, they were showing some really old retired individuals who worked on cast costumes or paintings or engineering. And they would tell little stories like about, for example, how they came up with the Indiana Jones the Indiana Jones car that you get inside of and, you know, how the engineers had to go find something that wasn't built to carry people <laughs> and then how they had to like decide how to put it on a track and cut corners and how to do it safely. And first they designed the car and then they designed the ride around the car because what they wanted to do was create an immersive experience. And it was really kind of fascinating. And they would introduce these characters, which were just everyday kind of people, you know, but yes. they were there at the beginning and they helped create the idea that became the product. And I don't necessarily relate as an engineer because I'm not, but for whatever reason, I was fascinated by it. So is that what we're talking about or is it something yeah. else? Yeah. I mean, it can be. So I would imagine that those stories were told in bits and pieces first person by yes. the engineers. So so all together then as you were watching the entire episode, each one of those individual engineers over time became a character yes. to you, like someone that you could identify with instead of just like our team of engineers is right. dedicated to blah, 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 blah. Well, you can't picture a team of engineers. Like you want to know who Susan and, and Franco and whoever it was that, right, that, right, right, that right. put that together. Yes. So in that particular scenario, those characters were likely emerged as first person. But but think about that as you were telling that story. I mean, you could, if you were telling the story of one of your customers right. and who they are and what they liked and the kind of person they are, and you could pick up on the nuances of that person because you are potential customers who are watching this 
story or listening to this story, they want to see someone there that they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like I've been there before. I felt that way before. That you want them to have a real person they can connect to. Okay, cool. So how do we decide which people we ought to choose to be our characters? That really depends on the message that you want to deliver the purpose. So if you're trying to illustrate the particular features of a particular product, then the character could be either the person who developed that product and why, you know, their journey to finding the solution and and making sure it was perfect and and that person expressing their passion for developing that product. The character could be someone who has used that product and has seen a transformation in their lives. That decision really there's a few determining factors, but ultimately you want to be thinking about your message that you want to deliver and what you want the audience to think, feel, know, or do as a result of hearing the story. And also what's available to you. You know, you may have direct access to the developers. Sit down with them and and let them tell you their stories. You may need to go talk to the people in customer service who have you know, long, drawn-out conversations with the various customers that you have. You want to hear those stories to get to know those characters. Cool. And I would imagine you want to, especially if it's going to be conveyed in video, you want to choose somebody who can communicate in a way that's easy for others to understand. Am I right? Because not everybody's good necessarily with their sound bites. (laughs) Ah, that is a big question. Here's the good news about putting people on video and storytelling. If they are telling a story, if they're just telling their own story, and I would recommend once you find the person, once you identify that identifiable character, um, to spend some time crafting the story with them, developing the arc. If you are going to have them read, like read it, whether it's off a teleprompter, which that is risky, or just deliver it line by line, that's one thing. Or you need to design your questions such that they, your you the person on video yeah. yep, will extract the right part. But the good news is they don't have to be super talented. When people are telling their own stories, there's a lot more leeway to allow them to just be themselves. And that ring of truth, that authenticity comes through. So I've worked with some really bad people on camera, but when they're telling their stories, it works. That's cool. Let's talk about the authentic emotion side of this. And the authentic emotion is, well, they're all really important to me, but this one is very important to me because I think one of the things that holds our stories back or or one of the misconceptions or challenges that marketers face is we think that it has to be over the top. We want to be creating stories, if you will, that have really big, dramatic emotions. And that that is really the only thing that constitutes a great story is that it would be ready for the silver screen. It has to be someone's worst day ever or a super outrageous accomplishment. But the truth is, even small emotions are really important. If what we're talking about here is human connection and watching a story or hearing a story or reading a story that we can see ourselves in, even small emotion, sometimes small emotion is better because we don't feel like we're being marketed to. We feel like we're hearing a story that sounds like 
our life. So emotions like hope or guilt or frustration or embarrassment or I don't know, you know, like I think back to the video, I think I talk about it in the book that Apple did. And I always hesitate using Apple as an example because, you know, it's just, it's just, they have all the resources in the world, right? But they share a story in their ad called Misunderstood that's about a boy who seems distracted by his phone, but what he's actually doing is taking little snapshots of his family together at the holidays. And then when it all comes together, it's this beautiful imagery. The whole family is sitting down and watching it and getting emotional about it. And in the video and the snapshots that he were taking were just really small and small moments. But it was the emotion of togetherness, what family's really all about. There was also a side benefit of him feeling you misunderstanding him as a teenager and that revelation that, oh, he was being misunderstood. So the importance of small, real human emotion. So as you're crafting your stories, be thinking about what your customers are feeling on a on a day-to-day basis. And, and stories can be told around that. For those of us that are not super tuned into our emotions, how in the world do we know? <laughs> like, is there some questions we should ask? Like, how did it make you feel when? I mean, I'm just trying to think how in the world we even tap into that. Yeah. I think one thing you can be thinking about And this is relevant for, because if they're, I mean, if they're your stories, that's one thing. But if you're responsible for telling someone else's stories, to be thinking about, all right, what is it that keeps them up at night? What is it that they're worrying about? What is it that is at stake for that person, for your customer in many cases? And once you can tap into that, that's where the emotion lies. So... I'm thinking back to this recent thing that I watched again with Disney. They were showing, for example, some of these engineers, and then they would go there to the opening of the ride, and they would ask them, how did you feel when you saw people, you know, using the thing that you helped create? And they were having a really, that was a small emotion, but that you could tell they were like elated to see someone benefiting from something they created, you know? And they also sent, there was one scene where they sent people overseas to another country. I think it was Japan or France, uh, when they were building these Disney World parks out there, or Disneyland parks out there. And they were talking about the challenges of dealing with the culture and how eggs were being thrown at them at the opening of Disneyland France, you know? <laughs> and they had the CEO, oh, yeah. the CEO saying, talking about like how they really kind of, at first glance, kind of missed the mark culturally, you know? And you can kind of see this, like these people throwing eggs at the CEO and he's ducking (laughs) at the opening of the park. And I don't know if that's authentic emotion, but I get the sense it might be because it's showing like, hey, we kind of like, you know, hit on a nerve here, you know, and they were sharing some of that story and they could have chose not to share that story, but they did. And I think eventually they showed how they overcame that. Yeah. So think about that, like disappointment, regret, like when you realize that you were wrong and that feeling of like, oh gosh, I was wrong about that. Yeah. Um, like that, they, they, realized, right there. they realized they needed to serve wine in the park in France. Right. So they, <laughs> I mean, they every, do that in the United States. <laughs> in my opinion, but, they're all, uh, we quickly changed when everybody said, where's the wine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I cool. Once, I once was at Disneyland and I went up to, you know, the, like there was this Italian restaurant and I was like, Hey, do you have, what wines do you have? And the girl looked at me all offended. 
She's like, we do not serve wine. <laughs> well, false advertising on the happiest place on earth, if you ask me. <laughs> so we talked about characters, and those characters could be uh, employees, they could be customers. We talked about trying to tap into that authentic emotion, and it doesn't need to be crazy. It could be something small that resonates with your target audience about a challenge or a problem that was overcome, hopefully. And then um, a moment, like what is a moment? Um, Talk to us about that. So a moment, this is the hardest one to describe, I would say. But a moment is when you're telling a story, you want to be able to bring your audience to a specific place and time so that they are sitting there with you or standing there with you. So they're about to get on, you know, like, they're, they're standing there as the first people get on the new ride at Disney World, France, or whatever it is. Instead of where stories, again, can go wrong is they stay vague, where what we really need is to come all the way down to a particular moment. Now, one way someone someone asked me, like, isn't that really just the setting, like where you're describing the setting? Yes and no. It isn't about the description necessarily. Your goal here is really for your audience to go sit in that particular place and time to see themselves right there in the story. So, so the moment could be, you know, the moment that you first opened the door to, you know, you you turned the sign on your office door from closed to open. It mm. could be, I, I tell this story about um, my husband and I going out to dinner after getting some like bummer news. And we had had these reservations, not at that fancy restaurant, at a different restaurant. Um, we'd had these reservations to go celebrate and we actually got kind of bummer news. And, and I described the moment sitting at the steakhouse table that was, you know, for whatever reason could fit eight people. And it was just the two of us. And we sat all the way across from each other with the lights being dim until I finally made him come around to the other side to sit by me. But even that description of a steakhouse booth, when I tell that story and then afterwards I'll go back and say, okay, how many of you were right there in the booth with us? Everyone raises their hands. And I was like, well, you you weren't invited. But no, but that's what that moment is, bringing it all the way to a very specific place and time. This drives that co-creative process. So as your audience is hearing it, as listening to this, they are picturing themselves in that story. And when they do that, the story stays with them longer. It has that lasting effect that ultimately is what we're looking for. That's how you overcome all the noise. That's how you get your message to stick with them. So bringing it all the way down to a specific moment is a really powerful strategy in storytelling. I would imagine you could have more than one moment if you tell the story right, or do you just I, want one? Nope, absolutely. You can have more than one. I see it kind of as like, well, I don't know. Some people may not remember this, but remember when we had actual maps? 
Oh, like yeah. they were yeah. printed, right? And then you would there would be you would get to a city and then it would say see inset, right? And you would have to go to the other, like the bottom corner of the map where it zoomed in yeah. on that particular. That's what this moment is. Is your story's going along, it's moving along, it's moving along, and then all of a sudden you zoom all the way in. So you're slowing the, the story down, really, is what I'm hearing you say, right? Yep. You slow it down, you draw it in, you you enrich that you heighten the details, increase the saturation right there, and then you can pull back out of it and go. Go, go along with the story. And then if you need to, depending on the length of the story or the, you know, just the nature of the story itself, there may be another one where you zoom all the way into another moment. Now, here's the thing. Here's some advanced. Can I go a yeah. little bit advanced? Go for it. If you do have like two moments two like distinct, it's really great if when you zoom in on the first one and then you zoom in on the second one, there are some similarities somehow in the way that you describe it. So like if you're zooming in on that steakhouse restaurant right there and then later in the story you zoom back in I might include no matter you know whether where we are but the that the light was kind of dim if that was a detail that I included in an earlier moment in uh, the steakhouse yeah Got it perfect All right so uh we've talked about the characters the motion the moment what about the specific details sounds like maybe that's close to what we're talking about within the moment? Yep. Yep. So specific details really are, it's that final component that drives the co-creative process that you can get very specific about the details in the story and your listeners' brains will pick up on that and they will hold it and they will keep it. So for example, I have this presentation that I give where I talk about picking someone up from the airport and I mentioned the kind of car I was driving. It was a silver Grand Am. Now, the silver Grand Am really has nothing to do with the story. The story is about something entirely different, but I add that detail in. And then later, about 30 minutes later in my presentation, if you will, I ask, I say, how many of you can tell me what kind of car I was driving in the story you heard 30 minutes ago. And every single person, I would say 95% of the room remembers, remembers that it yeah. was a silver Grand Am. Well, you did now, that at the opening here. You said there was these tiny chairs in that tent. Exactly. And so keep go- So why do you do that? What's the deal? Because you want to keep people engaged. And that's the power of a story is you have the ability to keep people engaged. We love picking up on these tiny little details. Like the brain is listening for them. And for whatever reason, they hold. So I included the details of those chairs being half the size. Did I mention that they were white? Did I say that? No. No, okay. I thought I maybe left that out. Um, But that they're half the size of a normal chair. By taking a couple extra minutes to describe that detail, to put that detail in there, right? You remember, I didn't even bring it up and you remembered that that was one of the details. Well, here's the thing. You could totally plant details metaphorically, right? If we go back to that steak restaurant, you could say something like there was only one napkin in the napkin holder, right? Or you could say something like the steak sauce was empty, right? And I would imagine... That could be a metaphor, right? Like there was no sauce left in the steak container and the napkin holder only had one napkin left. And I would imagine that could be a metaphor for something being empty in you and the fact that you're in this empty booth. And I would imagine if you're smart, I don't know, I think that would be a cool little detail. I see that kind of stuff in movies, but I never really picked up on it. Am I close or am I totally off? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, so that's taking it to a whole new level. So specific details, you can, they can carry that extra meaning or they can simply just be like, I had a, um, 
there was a story that I was working with on a gentleman about opening up his first bank account. And, you know, it was this whole story about money. And one of the details he included was that there was a bowl of Werther's candy sitting on the person's desk. It had nothing to do with the story. It wasn't huh. a metaphor for anything else. But that small, because already, can't you just picture, aren't you suddenly sitting in a bank and you see those Werther's on the desk? Yeah. So those details. Now, I've also done exactly what you said, where you use the detail as a metaphor. Now, what's care- what you have to be careful of here is if you put too much in or you put too much weight on the details, they don't have the same effect. Right. So don't make them work too hard, <laughs> right? You can do that, but don't make them work too hard. Just something as simple and straightforward as a as one detail will do exactly what you need to have done. But I had I was working on a story I think I talk about it in the book where this gentleman was the CEO of the company and he had to give a a big address. It was his first one in front of a really large audience and everybody's kind of wondering who he is and what he's about. And he told the story of the first time he really experienced the true essence of what their company was all about. He was at this event, a homeless man shuffled in. Usually homeless men would be shuffled right back out again, but this is an organization that's dedicated to helping the least fortunate among us in the population. Mm. And so instead of shooing the man out, someone came over, they gave him a chair They gave him a bottle of water and a handful of store-bought cookies that had been there for the event. And the homeless man sat there and enjoyed the presentation. And afterward, he shuffled out again. And the CEO says, I saw in that moment that with something, this is what we do every day. Sometimes it's as simple as a bottle of water and a handful of cookies. Sometimes it's much, much more when we give dignity and respect to people who need it most. Everyone deserves this. That's cool. Um, and it was all around that one little cookie. Now he got off stage. It was at a dinner event. And then the MC got up and said, everyone, please enjoy your dinner and the special cookie that's at your place. That's cool. And we'd left it. It was, it was a really cool way to incorporate that small detail. I love it. This is so cool. Kinder, we could go on for hours. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can discover more about you, your book, the workshops, whatever else you've got going on, because obviously we've just barely scratched the surface of this. There is so, so much more that you have to share. Oh, I know. Well, I'm really, when I first got started speaking, it actually was for marketing luncheons. I was going to local AMA chapters. And and so I'm so excited. Stories That Stick really is a book for, it's a book for everyone, but it is a book for marketers. If you've been struggling with trying to figure out the best stories, or maybe you have someone on your team who's trying to write stories or whatever is, this book really is for you. So of course you can get stories that stick at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's all over airport bookstores. So you can find you can find that book anywhere books are sold. And as you mentioned, we also offer a Stories That Stick storytelling workshop. It's a full-day workshop designed to go through the methodology that, that we teach in the book. So it's perfect for people in a marketing role, whether it's just you who comes or whether you bring a few members of your team so that you can all band together and be working on stories. So I put together a special web page just for these listeners that will have all of that information on it. If you go to kindrahall.com slash SME. So kindrahall.com slash SME. We'll have the information about the workshops. And then of course, social media, Gotta love social media. So on Instagram, it's one of the best places to find me. I am at Kindra, K-I-N-D-R-A Hall. At Kindra Hall on Instagram. 
I mean, awesome. there you go. Awesome. Folks, check out her stuff. She's amazing. Kendra, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights with us. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. And by the way, if there's anything we mentioned in today's interview and you missed it, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 386 will get you to the show notes. New to the show? Hit the subscribe button. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week and next year. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.